Rico, did I give you enough? This is Mary Clifton here. How you doing? What's happening, Mary? How you doing? <laughs> Good. Did I give you enough information to uh, replace um, uh, the other person who was not going to be available today? And I said I would do that story, but I didn't oh, yeah. put it on. No, okay, good. All right. You're you're, you're good. If, right. if it if it's not on the jumbotron, um, I'm here. We call it the fucking jumbotron. I'm just rolling with it because uh, uh-huh. <laughs> if, if it's if it's not so on the that's what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of dig it because I'm old. I'm, I'm an ex college football player, so you know jumbotron is a special place to my heart. So um, yeah, if it's not on there, you just got to tweet tweet your story and share it, and you'd be good to go. Okay, good. Uh, we're uh, tapping everybody in Clubhouse. Get this party jumping in just a second here. How you feeling this 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 beautiful Tuesday morning, Jason? Back? Oh, I'm fucking turned up, bro! It's fucking Tuesday. Turned up Tuesdays. It's an amazing day. It's Ooh. sunny out. Ooh. The grass is growing. The key keeps going in the log. Right, we're rolling. You know, we have this uh, moratorium on uh, water conservation out here, and I have on video, because I was the man on the street yesterday, I got on video, um, city of Los Angeles just wasting water and just p- dumping it all on some uh, dried up shrubbery. Yeah, so there's really no water shortage then. Follow the money. Let's get this, let's get this party uh, going, jumping, all that shit. You are tuned into the State of Cannabis News Hour, where industry leaders, regulators, and lovers of cannabis gather collectively to move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Professionals and cannabis curious alike can tune in to hear leading cannabis experts share and discuss headlines, critical industry issues, social topics, and more. Your Daily Dose. Here we go. What's up, Canvision fam? Raj here, your Southeast Regional Production Lead, coming to you with another uh, medical cannabis. I told you, man. I told you, man. I'm not. I'm not supposed to be behind the keys here, but you know what? We we already know. So let me just welcome everybody. Hi, welcome to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we bring you all the top stories you need to know and talk about them for four minutes and 20 seconds. We are a group of experts in different cannabis spaces with a wide diversity of perspectives and life experiences. Our news is bite-sized and infused with a nice mix of facts, which I spit, opinions, and a pinch of humor. It's Tuesday, July 19, 2022, and this is episode 325, and I am Jason Beck, the longest continuous retail operator of cannabis in the United States. Today, we are talking about Germany, uh, Germany, Luxembourg, and Malta. Malta and the Netherlands discuss cannabis legis- uh, legislation. Former UCLA de- decathlete, not Bruce Jenner, pleads guilty to $28.4 million cannabis vaping scam. Why is innovative industrial properties stocked down 13% today? Hmm. The House will not be voting on cannabis amendments for veterans in public housing. Surprise, surprise. Um, Public town hall meeting on medical cannabis in Kentucky will be held in Frankfurt. Uh, Safe drug consumption sites decrease overdose risk and preventive public use, study says. 
Cannabis advocates rip Arizona's draft rules for social equity licenses. New York community colleges are awarded $5 million to create marijuana job uh, training programs. And Belize needs $5 million to stage referendum for decriminalization efforts. And many, many, many other frosty nuggets. So stay tuned for the full 60 minutes of the State of Cannabis News Hour. Let's get our disclaimer on right here so uh, you guys don't get too pissed at us. So you can be just clean. Um, I'm already claimed, bro. You're being disclaimed. Ooh, is that is that supposed to be like an insult or something? You know what I'm saying? Like, no. And disclaimer is not being is not playing. It ain't my fault. Anyways. Uh need a fucking producer dude <laughs> all right <laughs> if you are listening to the podcast the show is live every weekday at 9 a.m pacific on twitter spaces so spark it up with us in over thirty-one thousand state of cannabis news hour members if you want to become an audience participant please support the show by just subscribing and leaving us a review audience feel free to raise your hands if you want to weigh in on any headline after it's been read and we'll try to bring you up to stage keep it brief and relevant or you may just get the Dude, none of these are working. <laughs> there we go. Susan, we need these updated, please. <laughs> All right, so kicking off the show today is myself. I like to ask the tough questions that the mainstream media refuses to ask, and I am the dopest dad alive. And um, I'm here to encourage all the other dope dads in the universe to just keep it real and uh, tell your stories, man. We need more dope dads coming to the, uh, the 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 top of the barrel there because all the cannabis mamas are out there doing their thing. We gotta we gotta show our faces too. So uh, my story today is coming from Investment News, uh, excuse me, Insurance News. Former UCLA decathlete has pled guilty to twenty eight point four million dollar cannabis vaping scheme. David uh, Bunavax. Uh, competed with the Philippines national team in 1988 as a decathlete as an honor while he was a student still enrolled at UCLA. A couple of decades later, he was popped off for selling knockoff vape pens um, that did not exist, actually, and growing his corporate trapping empire to over $28 million before pleading guilty yesterday. Um, Bunavex raised the money from investors falsely claiming their funds would be used to finance companies marketing cannabis vape pens. And the 53-year-old Calabasas, California resident entered his plea to one count each of securities fraud and wire fraud, according to the U.S. Attorney's Office. And he will be facing up to 40 years behind bars. Uh, Bunavex solicited investments from various businesses he said to be involved with in selling THC and, and CBD vape pens, falsely telling at least one investor he had a long-standing relationship with the Chinese manufacturer of disposable vape pens. He provided forged documents, bank statements, invoices, and purchase orders to support his false claims of success and misappropriated the majority of the funds to pay for a luxurious lifestyle, including a house in Calabasas, Las Vegas trips, jewelry, designer handbags, lavish birthday parties for himself, his wife, and his daughters, uh, horses. And according, and according to his plea agreement, um, the paper. This was all according to his plea agreement and papers filed in Los Angeles federal courts uh, state. 
federal state court. Per the article, federal prosecutors say he spent more than $8.1 million at casinos, paid $218,700 to an event planner in connection uh, with the birthday party for his daughter and bought a horse for her for $330,000. Some investor funds were used to repay early investors. That's a Ponzi scheme. Uh, the investigation also revealed Bunavec's took extensive efforts to conceal negative background information on himself from investors, like his 2017 felony conviction for unlawful sale of securities. Bunavex, he sounds like a great guy. Bunavex was found to have uh, caused investors losses of at least $28.4 million. And you know what? I really got no sympathy for this guy, but I do empathize with him on the on the whole horse thing. I, if I was trapping that, that heavy, I would probably buy my daughter her horse for her birthday, too. So, um... He should have just got out while he was hot. This is Rico Lamid, Dopest Dad on the Street for a State of Cannabis News Hour. Love to hear what the rest of the team has to say about this one. You know this guy, Jason? You, you buy your daughter a stallion? <laughs> no. <laughs> Dude, she. I went to a birthday party. It was a horse birthday party. My homeboy is a uh, famous musician. I won't say his name. Um, but uh, she fucking loves horses, man. Um, and I know that's a very, very expensive. Um, habit or, or, or hobby or anything so um anybody has like horse timeshares or some shit like that probably down to get in with y'all but um yeah she does she loves horses man i never thought I, i'd ever even introduce her to a horse but she loves fucking horses there's a there's a place out in the valley that that, that does all of that that like you can go ride horses check them out teach your kids about them all that good stuff as a former 4-h and uh, member and horse owner for years i'm sure a lot of people can back this up you definitely don't want your kid on stallion that's pretty serious uh it's like a stud but i think this story itself is pretty juicy i mean it's not anything new we see this happen all the time but i'm surprised this guy was able to get away with it so long and he's obviously already a grifter so like a right man, so i'm surprised it's like the fool me once fool me twice kind of thing yeah, I mean, I mean, knowing where he's from, he's from out in Calabasas and everything. Um, there's a lot of people with deep pockets and a lot of disposable income, so he probably just solicited a bunch of um, really, really rich people to get in on his scheme. And there's a lot of FOMO going on right now, so everybody out there that is not in the industry, make sure you guys vet your sources and make sure you guys do some background checks on people. Are you going to run into some shit like this? I'm impressed he was able to raise $20 million. I mean, Right! Right. I mean, that, people like, in this industry are broke right now, so a lot of investors are like, I ain't got 25000 I don't know where he found guys to give him $28 million. He took the money that was supposed to be met for those businesses. <laughs> he dried them up. This guy's a beast. And what happened to the vape carts? Like, are they... <laughs> they never existed. Oh. <laughs> they were all in a food truck in New York. <laughs> yeah, they never existed. He... he, he produced all these false documents and everything said for years he has been successful at selling uh, THC and uh, CBD vape carts and, and disposable pens and it was it says he was tied to a Chinese owned company they didn't name the company there I'll dig into the documents and see who it was I have a couple of ideas and um, I'm to bet it's a hardware company Oh, definitely, bro. <laughs> definitely. I mean, all the pens are made overseas, so it's no shock. It's easy to get away saying it's a company. Yeah, and if you go to anybody who's been to MJ BizCon over the last, what, three, four years, you see there's, um, was it Jason, was it like three years ago, four years ago, there's like a 40% increase in booth space there, and they're all like Chinese hardware companies. They came out, they came out and that's why um, the whole vape industry um, blew up. 
because there was all of this uh, where it costs to get like a premium um, um, uh, to get premium oil like I, prior to I'll say like three maybe four years ago it would cost like three to four million dollars for your whole setup it was all of a sudden the prices dropped like crazy and then you have the vape crisis because uh, anybody with uh, just under a million dollars can have a world-class setup thanks Chinese Think the vape crisis was also in conjunction with a couple other factors besides just that. But no. Yeah, oh, of course, there's plenty of factors that went into that, but it made it cheaper to uh, for a lot of people to manufacture a lot of that shit because of the the Chinese hardware that came in, and um, it was a lot cheaper than what was already on the market. And nobody was checking what was going into those vape pens. No, so you could put everything into it. Yeah, shout out to vitamin E acetate. Anybody else on that one? Anybody know this guy? Does he even look familiar? No? All right. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. You have any, you, you have something? No, no, go ahead. Okay. Up next, he is the longest continuously operating retailer in the world. In Detroit, he's known as White Gucci. In Miami, he is Gucci Blanco. Over across the pond in London, he's the boo-free bloke. And he also has a long-standing affinity for anything Donald J. Trump. Coming up next is Jason Beck. What do you have for us today, my man? Well, Rico, I mean, after all, the 80s were amazing. You know what I'm saying? For white people, yeah. The 80s, 80s were <laughs> an amazing time. But nonetheless, I have a shocking tale that I don't think anybody's going to find surprising if you understand the cannabis things. But everyone wants to know, why is Innovative Industrial Properties, IIPR, stock down 13% today? Well, Innovative Industry Properties, IIPR stock, is falling on Friday after the company noted that one of its renters is defaulting on payments. According to a filing with the U.S. Secretaries or Securities and Exchange Commission, better known as the SEC, King's Garden has defaulted on its base rent and property management fees for July. It is also defaulting on certain insurance premiums for those properties. King's Garden rents, a proper, rents its properties from a subsidiary of innovative industrial properties. With today's news, it will not be paying a $1.8 million base rent and property management fees, as well as $382,000 of insurance premiums. This has innovative industrial properties losing out on roughly $2.2 million, as noted in the SEC filing. Innovative Industrial Properties is still in discussion with Kings Garden concerning the leases, and the company also notes is in talks with other operators for the potential releasing of certain properties. Innovative Industrial Properties is a company that manages properties leased out to marijuana companies, and it is based out of San Diego, California, but has properties available across the U.S., now is the last paragraph of this story, so it kind of like goes for a little bit of a left. But it says, the bad news for IIPR stock comes alongside a positive catalyst for the marijuana industry. Senate Democrats are planning to introduce a marijuana legalization bill as early as next week, but um, we'll see what happens with that. The only problem will be getting aid from Republicans to pass the bill, they say. And reporters claim there's already pushback on that matter. Well, that's probably because it's very high excise tax and it's probably a bad bill and IIPR stock is down 13.4% as of Friday morning well I'll tell you what um, I'm not surprised at this but Kings Garden being the largest indoor cultivator in California I am a little bit shocked to see 
this is happening, but I guess uh, uh, I guess everyone is having hard times in this space. And this is Jason Berkeley for you state of cannabis are Holy shit, Jason. When you <laughs> I was wondering when you posted your story, like, you know, Jason was doing investment news this morning. That like, uh, I saw it was King's Garden. Wow. Well, this was not expected like at all. And I think this is this could definitely be a leading indicator for a lot of other players in the market, especially down here in Southern California. I, I just would not have would not have suspected that from uh, uh, from them. I hope that they can get their shit together and everybody's OK over there and um, uh, turbulent times ahead. Wow. I just wonder. Okay. I was just going to say, I've heard from a number of businesses in the industry recently are just dying from the current economy. Things are not going well. And I'm sure the uh, vastly huge illicit space in California is also not helping this company out whatsoever. Not even I think a little you're bit. Correct, Gretchen. And I think if you look at it, it's not only the cannabis industry that's struggling, but then, like you said, the entire, like, we're all struggling with inflation and all these other higher prices. And so it seems to be like the perfect storm. Yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at the leases that a lot of cannabis companies entered into, like, money was cheap uh, and products were maybe selling a little bit stronger than they are now. Um, and a lot of those leases are just running businesses into the ground. It's kind of it's one of the first things I talk about with investors in terms of what they're looking at for a new opportunity. They want to see the lease terms first. Anybody else on this one? Anybody from Southern California want to chip in on this one? I'm in SoCal. I wanted to say I was really surprised, Jason, that you mentioned King's Garden with this story because as somebody who's been in the industry for a while, I mean, they have a good name and they've been well known. So it's just a little, uh, I don't know, throws you off a little bit to hear this. Please, uh, I'm, yeah. just, I'm just asking this as a question. Do they have a good name or is it just that their name is so big that you assume that it's a good name? Just ask me. I would go with the, the definitely the size and just seeing it everywhere. Not anything about the quality. No, I, I think they're, I think they're pretty well respected. Um, yeah, they're very well respected. Um, they have been producing consistent uh, product, and um, a lot of people consider them uh, as like the Jungle Boys of the desert. The Jungle Boys of the desert. Heard it twice in the last month, actually, at up in, up in your neck of the woods over at Green Street. I, I mean, I've never heard that one, but I think that that's cute, and and the fact that. Jungle Boys would have that many lights is just amazing as well. So, I mean, I just, I find that a, a big stretch on so many different levels. One of your neighbors, it, uh, a couple of doors down. No, they actually <laughs> are our neighbors um, out in Cathedral City. We're surrounded by Kings Garden cultivation sites. Are you? So, uh, yes. I'm Cat City? Yep. Oh, this, this, big, this big news, man. This is, uh, I hope people in Southern California are ready for a lot of a lot more news to come that is similar to this because it's going to send shockwaves through the through the headlines here through the airwaves yeah and i just i just wonder what other companies are going to pick up these uh, cultivation sites i mean they're already built out for optimal performance and it's definitely going to cost a lot less to go and take over one of their cultivation sites as opposed to building a brand new one well, also a lot of companies are shutting down their cultivation sites, like Cresco and Santa Barbara County shut down their cultivation site because they're not making money. So definitely sign of the times. Fire sale coming. Is, is Cresco known for growing fireweed? 
No, they're not. But I'm just saying that they were heroic. You're right. You're right. But oh, yeah, <laughs> just, saying, just saying, Liz. Yeah, I would expect some of these giant MSOs that have, uh, uh, and probably the Canadians are going to be coming in soon because they were waiting for some events like this to wipe out a lot of the um, uh, the, the the larger players in in the U.S. before they hopped in, anyways. So well, you know the one thing. The one thing that they can't blame their financial problems on uh, this month is going to be the the cultivation tax. They can't blame it on that anymore because that shit has been eliminated. Yeah, I mean, um, it was too little, too late, wasn't it? Definitely too little, too late. But you know what? And the beat goes on. And coming up next, she's a political strategist by day and a baker by night. A true female multitasker who can not only bake up a storm, but also knows how to make the sausage on Capitol Hill. She's the founder of Panoply Strategies and our very own Washington Insider. Taking off the apron, it's none other than Gretchen Gailey. Good afternoon. My headline today is coming from Marijuana Moment. And surprise, surprise, Congress sucks. Uh, the headline is, House will not vote on marijuana amendments for veterans and public housing residents after committee snag. A key House committee on Monday rejected bipartisan spending bill amendments to promote veterans' medical marijuana access on procedural grounds. While another pair of measures to provide protections for people who use cannabis in federally assisted public housing was pulled before the panel had a chance to vote. Advocates had hoped that the House Rules Committee would make in order each of the amendments and clear them for floor consideration. But those hopes were dashed in short order on Monday amid disagreements about the appropriateness of pursuing the policy reform measures through spending legislation. The panel also refused to allow a measure that includes provisions to make it easier to study Schedule One substances like marijuana and many psychedelics to move to the floor vote to vote. Uh, Representative Dave Joyce attempted to defend the germaneness of his veterans' amendments, which he revised ahead of the rules meeting after consulting with the House parliamentarian to avoid exactly this kind of issue. The latest version of the measure would have prevented uh, the VA from using its funds to enforce specific policies that block VA doctors from recommending medical cannabis to veterans, as well as separate directive barring VA... God damn it, Salem, shut up. In other words, it would force the VA to spend money in a certain way or even require it to revise its rules. Instead, it would have imposed a restriction on spending appropriated dollars to enforce selected cannabis policies prescribed under a 2017 directive. Meanwhile, the specific issue of allowing VA doctors to make medical marijuana recommendations was addressed in an amendment to a separate must-pass defense bill that passed the House last week. For the appropriations legislation, the original measure Joyce and bipartisan co-sponsors filed ahead of the most recent revision would have additionally blocked the department from using its funding to prohibit veterans from using cannabis in compliance with state tribal law. Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, chair of the House Appropriations Subcommittee that oversees VA spending, acknowledged she asked Joyce not to pursue the amendment at the committee level. She reasoned that such a proposal to be handled through authoriz- authorizing rather than appropriations legislation. The Congresswoman also argued that a policy permitting VA doctors to recommend medical cannabis could then put them at risk at federal enforcement action, a point seemingly contradicted by a 2000 federal court ruling that determined physicians have a First Amendment right to make recommendations for the medical marijuana, even if they're not able to prescribe it. In any case, Joyce disagreed. He said this amendment, which would simply bar federal funds from enforcing parts of Directive 1315 is straightforward. 
It's common sense and germane to the appropriations process. To be clear, this amendment does not enact or authorize new policy. It doesn't even call on the agency to develop a new rule or directive. There's ample evidence that when administered correctly, cannabis is an effective treatment for ailments ranging from PTSD and chronic pain to multiple sclerosis and epilepsy disorders. I seriously encourage all members of this committee to ask themselves if they're willing to be what stands between veterans and these innovative therapies with 18 veterans dying each day by suicide. Countless more succumbing to chronic pain and fallout from prescription opioids. I know I'm not. But even Representative Ed Perlmutter, a pro-legalization lawmaker who has championed marijuana banking reform uh, through several legislative vehicles, seemed to cast doubt on the prospects. He said, I would say to my friend, you and I are pretty much on all fours on this. But I would say the committee and the chair have a fair objection that this is a legislating on an appropriations bill. And you and I just have our work cut out, even if we need to just get this thing passed so there's no issue about it, which we've been doing pretty much 24-7. Besides the Veterans uh, Amendment, the Rules Committee was also expected to take up measures from Representative Eleanor Holmes Norton that would have prevented the use of uh, HUD funds to enforce the federal prohibition on medical and recreational cannabis use or possession in federally assisted public housing. Uh, But just before the committee hearing, the amendments were withdrawn. Uh, the reason behind the decision more broadly concerned the need to build buy-in for the reform in the House rather than procedural complications. Uh, I would say, and my dog would agree, this is some bullshit by Congress. Uh, basically, uh, this amendment bit the dust because of procedure, not because people didn't believe in it. Um, we will see what they do at this point. There are still amendments attached to the NDAA. Uh, they got go through to help take care of uh, veterans and their um, needs to get their medications uh, recommended and prescribed by the VA. This bill would have just kept the funds from another rule that would have said that they couldn't do that. So uh, I understand their point, but I also think it's a bullshit point. And Dave Joyce does have um, some standing. This has to do with appropriations, so why not put it in the appropriations bill? This scratch for state of Kansas, Cesar. Question, question, who do you actually blame for dropping the ball on this? Uh, do you want me to be honest? 100%. I would, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. As she's oh, well, a of the committee. She, she's, but she's a prohibitionist, though. She's never been a fan of cannabis in any way, shape, form whatsoever. But she's, well, she's a Democrat, so I would think she would love cannabis. No, she is not against cannabis. She is one of the Democrat prohibitionist lawmakers. Well, good old Dem. Either way, uh, they dumped it because of procedure. I think it's bullshit that they're standing in the way of vets uh, getting the help that they need. And frankly, what they need to be doing from more of a PR perspective, instead of saying uh, the Congress is fucking over cannabis, they need to be saying Congress is fucking over veterans. I, I, I would be willing to say that Debbie Washington Schultz used this procedural error to get her ultimate goal. Congress is fucking over America. Period. I mean, the interesting point is also that, you know, his good buddy, Ed Perlmutter, uh, the sponsor of Safe Banking, did not back him up on this. He said that Wasserman Schultz was correct and that this should not be in an appropriations bill. Pork. This wasn't pork. This didn't. No, this is definitely not pork. This is something that that, that definitely needs to pass, and, and, and we need to get. And, and it's just a major loss for all of our veterans and everyone else that's involved. 
Pork is when money's involved, Rico. This is not. Agreed. I was just doing that to trigger both of you, and it worked. Well, don't, well, don't <laughs> talk about pork. Yeah. I don't. Check the bait. Check the bait. Yeah, check this out, pork chop. <laughs> I enjoy my swine. Anyways, and then on a, also what it has to uh, interesting to note that, you know, housing bit the dust here as well. Um, I would say if they really want housing to move, uh, Eleanor Holmes Norton, who has zero power in Congress, is not the girl to be pushing it. Why is that? She's from D.C. She doesn't have a vote. No one gives a fuck. She can't get anything done. Yeah, nope. she's definitely not a person. Not sure. a person. No one cares about the population. Okay. Okay. No Any, one cares about it. Anybody on the other side of the aisle want to chip in on this one? I guess not. Nobody wants to have uh, Debbie See, Washman Schultz's no back. One, I mean, no one should have Debbie Washman Schultz's back. I agree. I, I I I agree. I got I've got nothing nice to say about her, so I'm not gonna say anything at, at all. But let's keep this. Let's keep the ball rolling here. Up next, she's a badass Bay Area kind of mom with the voice of a speakeasy jazz angel, kind of like Nora Jones with a joint in her mouth. Co-founder of International Cannabis Bar Association, chair of the bar, uh, chair of the bar association of San Francisco Cannabis Law Section, and founder of the San Fran Equity Applicant Pro Bono Legal Project. She's here to hit us with a little bit of that Tuesday morning blues. Lara Dakar, what you got for us today? Hey, thanks, Rico. Um, okay, today, uh, my story is actually across the pond here. I'm going over to Germany, Luxembourg, Malta, and the Netherlands, discussing marijuana legalization at a historic joint meeting um, by Kyle Yeager. Hopefully, no pun intended. So, according to Kyle, this is the first in what's expected to be a quote, series of multilateral discussions, which may be expanded to include other countries in the EU and elsewhere, he says, um, which these you know, discussions, he also says, could prove critical to addressing any resistance from the UN, which currently bars member states from legalizing cannabis. And Kyle's still using the word marijuana. I know it's marijuana moment. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna modify his words to cannabis where I where I can remember. So um stand with me. But anyway, uh, so nothing concrete apparently came out of this initial summit, but the officials from Germany, Luxembourg, and Malta released a joint statement afterwards um, outlining that they have a, quote, common understanding that the status quo is not a tenable option. So basically, a call for more research and analysis, all of which take time, but not a lot of expressed agreement on actually what the policy should look like. According to the article, the regional discussions are necessary for a number of reasons, including ongoing public health risks posed by an illicit market and law enforcement challenges in distinguishing between different forms of cannabis. I think Kyle's referring to hemp versus high THC cannabis. Quote, there is a need to reassess our policies on cannabis and to take into account recent developments in this area to further strengthen and develop health and social responses such as prevention programs, treatment and harm reduction interventions, and to find new approaches beyond prohibition-based drug policies, as is quoted as saying. That doesn't really sound like a glowing endorsement for access to me, however. So anyway, the, the uh, Netherlands did not sign on to the joint statement, but Luxembourg Minister of Justice Sam Tansen is quoted as saying that all of the countries who attended the meeting agree that the status quo is not an option and that they need a new structured multilateral drug policy. It's pretty interesting. 
So as listeners probably know, the Netherlands has a pretty complicated history of cannabis policy with a longstanding gray market, as it's called by the author. Um, you probably know they've had the ability to buy in certain coffee shops since the 1970s, but that both, you know, transport production and sales are not really tolerated. So testing has been challenging for the Netherlands, creating another health crisis. Unless, of course, your bedroom can, which has done some fantastic work, don't get me wrong. Um, and they have the government authority to operate in the medical cannabis space. So anyway, of the four countries directly involved in the discussion, only Malta so far has enacted legalization measures. Dogs are all participating in the call today. Adults over 18 in Malta will be allowed to possess up to seven grams of cannabis and cultivate as many as four plants. However, the law does not provide for a commercial cannabis market yet. It's a little like California's Prop 215 involving cooperatives and um, that kind of distribution model. But anyway, and, and we all know, we've discussed on this show many times that Germany has kicked off a series of hearings meant to inform legalization and end prohibition there. So it's really interesting to see the, the discussions in Germany pushing for discussions in the larger community in Europe and to see where Europe may be moving and this despite UN policy um, and um, you know, maybe maybe we'll make some progress, but I don't know. My name is Laurie DeCaro, reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour, and I'd love to hear what anybody thinks about Europe. Well, I hear Malta is a really beautiful country, and the fact that there is legalization, however, there is no like formalized industry or regulations in regards to how you make that happen. It's just kind of, I really don't understand um, how you can do, how, how you kind of square the two. But, um, you know, the, the European market is going to be really interesting. Um, I sat at Benzinga this past um, May, and I, I know that uh, Boris Johnson with Curly. He made it very clear that he is very interested and very bullish on Europe and wanting to go and push forward with their own brands and being able to be a vertical integrated market uh, model, business model in Europe as well. So maybe he knows something that we don't know and sees that this is a, a nice opening opportunity. They filmed a lot of that Jurassic Park <laughs> in Malta, and I just fell in love. I'm like, oh my god, I'm googling this, the locations. I was like, where's that? <laughs> I think this is a good like indication of just seeing how cannabis is moving so much further uh, globally, worldwide, and I hope that the United States can continue to improve quickly and get on board. I mean, do you guys realize, you know, and like Rico, do not say it, because I know what you're going to say. If you realize from an industry perspective, if we saw more reform, especially on the financing mechanisms and markets and products and banking, that some of the issues and the angst that we're seeing, I just, in the last 30 minutes, I've just received three um, direct messages on LinkedIn. I'm about to get fired. I just got laid off. I'm getting fired. I think my job is in jeopardy. And so really the economy and you have investors who are getting skittish about cannabis. And if you had financial markets that open up and these are, you know, I'm going to be honest with you, these are black and brown people that are connecting with me. So you can't say that there's not an impact to that community that is also connected to social equity. Safe banking already. Safe, safe, safe banking is not going to help them out with jobs. No, listen, uh, Rico is directly aligned. You have a you have a reaction to the economy, to the inflation, and then you have um, investors in these big companies. Let Let's be clear that there are some 
there's some social equity. There's some minority participants that are connected to the social equity community that have nice positions or they're working towards positions or they're working hard within these organizations and there's layoffs happening. And so we just, I mean, I, I, I'm with you focusing on equity operators and giving them the opportunity. But the reality of it is if you don't have some type of mechanism, financial instruments that are going to give, you know, investors confidence that you know you have um, some relief and you can start seeing some more profits versus just seeing the cycling of just cash going through like a like a wind tunnel. Um, we're going to see more and more layoffs, and I'm just you know just keeping it real. So, uh, safe, uh, safe banking is not going to safe banking is not going to help out with the jobs on, on on that end. And if it does help out, like the the larger uh, the MSOs and everything, uh, is is that helping anybody out with any ownership? Is that helping anybody out yes, um, yes, in the communities? Safe no. Is not that's bullshit. Yes, it will. It will help out the MSOs and help out the big banks. Oh my god. Oh my god. It's gonna help out MSOs. It's gonna help out the big Canadian firms enter the market. It's not. It's some bullshit. It's gonna help out the biggest of the big. It's gonna help out the big institutions. It's gonna help out the banks. It's Of course. To figure out ways to create a product. So that's jobs in itself. When you got a person managing that financial instrument to actually serve cannabis as a product, that creates jobs. So there is a real space when they actually make it legal, so we can actually manage and finance. And I'm up against a whole lot in this space, and they actually got me on fucking work PTSD now because I'm always fussing about stuff. Showfriend, well, showfriend, girlfriend. I, I definitely do appreciate your comments and everything, but you're coming from the financial industry. It's going to help the financial industry. It's not going to help. The people in the industry is that going to help? Is that going to help people of color? Uh, people of color in the industry. I, I come from financial space as well. I'm looking at the big picture here. It's going to help the large institutions, especially in a financial downturn like we are right now. Because I was very active in the last recession, in the Great Recession, and all of these bailouts helped the big banks. All of these, uh, all of these uh, bills that passed, that they are going straight to the pockets of the carpetbaggers they're going to this the straight to the pockets of the largest of the large the biggest of the banks and that's how it's going to be so if you want to look for stocks to to invest in right now you should be looking at the financial sector because once the financial uh, once the uh, safe banking act passes i think it will eventually in some form or some way it's going to be helping the banks it's going to help the biggest of the big of the operators and it's going to, it's going to expedite the process of canada getting into the u.s market that it's definitely going to play a hand up for those that are in the industry in terms of driving the financial sector. But consider the fact that it's going to create jobs that makes uh, product managers. And actually it's going to fund. It's going to fund those um, small companies that are just trying to start out. There are places in the financial sector where you have people like me that are speaking for it so that we can actually tap into help those smaller companies. It's not going to just be about the big companies. So Rico, there are folks, you're not by yourself, honey. There are several people, black and brown people, and people that are allies that understand that they've got have people in, in prison that are should be released, given the fact that we're trying to legalize it. So I think there's an opportunity there, and particularly in the financial sector when you've got investments. And as a exec in the industry, I can't actually invest in it. I would lose my job. So they have, so it, it would open up a whole lot of opportunities for people that want to invest, start investing, focusing on cannabis. Trust me, there's real opportunity there. You got you to think in terms of the vertical market. What other things are we tapping into to be able to make opportunities for people that are currently 
They're still in prison. I got a cousin now. Just just on some weed fucking weed charge. So I think there's a lot of opportunity. Show for a girlfriend. I do appreciate your comments, and I hope you don't take it as a, as a slight at all. I always look at the big picture, and I would love to keep this conversation going. We can go all day on this, and there's nothing but respect, love, Gretchen, and respect for you. you. But Gretchen, your question, and then we got to relight here. I, I just have a quick question for you, Rico. Yes. Do you honestly think that if safe banking were to pass, that it would not bolster confidence in the cannabis market, thus creating more opportunity, more investor money, more jobs. You really think if safe banking passes, none of that will happen? That is a loaded question. I can't answer it in its totality. No, 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 no. It's a loaded question, and that's going to keep our conversation going way too long. But I will say this. We need to free the people first. We need to take care of the communities before we take care of the banks. Let's gaslight this motherfucker right now. <laughs> None of these are working. Like, what's going on here, Susan? I know you're waiting in the wings over there. Like, <laughs> I think the gaslight should be sparking up some gas. This <laughs> should be. You are tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. I don't know what's going on here. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know. That's the gaslight for today. <laughs> we, we, hold on, hold on, Jason. I got it. I got it. We got to play this for um, for legal purposes, though. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the State of Cannabis News Hour are those of the individual speakers and not those of any other speaker. The State of Cannabis or its members. The statements made in the State of Cannabis News Hour do not constitute legal or accounting advice. And the State of Cannabis and the speakers make no representation regarding the legal status of any substance in any country, area, or territory, or of any authorities. The views expressed in this room do not establish any fiduciary relationship. The sponsorships of the State of Cannabis News Hour do not imply or constitute any endorsement by the State of Cannabis or the expression of any opinion whatsoever on the part of the State of Cannabis or any speaker. Let's keep smoking the news, Jason. All right, this pinup girl isn't just your ordinary man paper wallpaper. She's an all-around data cruncher that's known a thing or two about numbers and shit, an educator, a brand strategist, a healthcare consultant, and founder of the Cannabis Business Council of Santa Barbara County. It's none other than Liz Rogan. Thank you, Jason, and greetings, everyone. Happy Tuesday. Thank you for joining us today. I'm going to continue the jobs uh, trend here, which is so important. My story comes from cannabis. Um, sorry. My story comes from Marijuana Moment, apologies, um, by Kyle Yeager. The headline reads, New York Community Colleges awarded $5 million to create cannabis job training programs, the governor announces. So on Monday, New York Governor Kathy D. Hochul announced $5 million in funding to community colleges to support the development and improvement of courses and programs specifically meant to help individuals secure jobs in the newly launched legal industry in the state. Hochul said that the short-term funding initiative will help industry demand for a skilled workforce because this is a big problem. Seriously, I guess not on this side, but it will also support the administration's mission of ensuring that there's equity in the market opportunities. So three colleges in um, community college of the state university, the SUNY system will receive one million each and one city university in New York, SUNY community college will get two million. So each of the campuses will serve as the cannabis education program lead and they're going to partner with about over 12 other community colleges across the state. And the money itself will be used for non-degree and degree eligible courses and programs. They can also stack credentials and micro-credentials that will be designed to help these businesses find these qualified candidates and connect the candidates with them. Hopel said, quote, New York's 
new cannabis industry is creating exciting opportunities, and we will ensure that New Yorkers who want careers in this growing sector have the quality training they need to be successful. She says, quote, diversity and inclusion are what makes New York's workforce a competitive, powerful asset, and we will continue to take concrete steps to help ensure everyone has the opportunity to participate in the cannabis industry, end quote. The colleges will serve social equity candidates uh, as defined under regulations by the Office of Cannabis Management, which is OCM, and institutions that are receiving these funds have to work with local cannabis businesses in their communities to uh, create individual curriculum for that area. So um, Lieutenant Governor Antonio Delgado said, as we work to as we work to get our cannabis industry up and running in New York State, we must ensure that we have properly trained workforce and a pathway for employment opportunities. And this funding will ensure that these community colleges can create new or enhance existing programs to target employment. So this would help New York. Um, they say that, so the OCM and Department of Labor will be connecting the job seekers and businesses to a community college training programs. So upon, upon completion of the programs, they'll also assist candidates in completing resumes, job interview prep, and promoting regional career opportunities. So they said, quote, by investing in quality accreditation programs on these campuses, we are empowering New Yorkers to achieve their career goals, and that this is a win for cannabis employers and win for workers looking to move into in-demand careers with untapped potential in the state. So as we know, there's a lot going on with jobs. There seems to be a shortage, but then also people are getting laid off and there's no money anywhere to be found. So this educational investment does come at a critical time as the regulators are working to you know, develop and implement the rules and launch retail by the year's end. So I, I hope personally that this is a good thing that's gonna allow people, especially at community colleges, to be able to have an opportunity to get in here. I mean, I'm hopeful. I don't know if it will actually really be what it's supposed to be. It seems like there's always perverse incentives when there's money behind the scenes, but I would love to hear what you guys have to say. I mean, I see Colorado, it's one of the first states coming online saying, okay, now we're not going to take away people's professional licensure for cannabis. And now New York is one of the earlier states, I'm sorry, is later state entering is saying, hey, we're going to help push this job forward. I would love to hear what you guys have to say. So this is Liz Rogan reporting for the State Cannabis News Hour. Thanks, guys. So, you know, Liz, my sentiments are kind of in line with yours. Um, we always sometimes see, you know, um, money being thrown towards, you know, hey, this is the problem, and let's throw it towards, um, you know, an entity, and you guys are going to solve the problem. And I just, you know, I, I would like there, there to be a check and balance in that $5 million is there so that we make sure that it's not going to other different departments, that it's going to the, to the people that deserving from an educational perspective and also there's a wraparound because there's one thing to get the education but there's another thing to actually apply it and make it applicable for when it comes time for either dress for success resume building understanding interviewing skills things of that nature that are just soft skills that sometimes are not added to the actual education so that would be my only concern um but if those funds are there great and i would love to see maybe some community focused um organizations that are there in New York are subcontracted by some of these community colleges to provide some support as well. Yeah, I mean, I think if you invest in your employees, right, you have a better, you have better um, retention, they get, they work their way up, right, through the organization. I mean, theoretically, right, that's what, what's supposed to be going on. Remember back in the 215 days here in California, we had a really highly educated workforce for most of our retail like dispensaries. 
and and those employees were able to really talk with the patients, really you know sell them what they needed, and probably upsold them quite well because of it, because they really understood the product. Um, so those soft skills, knowing cannabis, but also high grade, knowing you know all, all of the other you know business savvy skills, getting access to lawyers and um, business consultants, is something we need to focus on. How much what is kind of oversight? What kind of oversight is in place for these funds to ensure that it's going to the right people and being spent in the appropriate manners, as opposed to just some general slush fund that people are just going to scounder and scaffold on? There's none. I mean, you gotta you gotta uh, spend more money on the oversight committee for for this, right? Well, then, but that's the that's the job of also advocacy advocacy groups, or you know, that's not my job from a from an employment perspective. But we should be also holding, you know, we know this is happening, so we should be interacting or at least you know connecting with those folks that are getting funded to do this and and being I don't want to call it a watchdog, but yeah, it's kind of like hey. You know what things are you going to do with that's why my recommendation was you know you have soft skills that may not be included so we should make recommendations and also be able to to let them know that there's people that are watching you know sometimes it doesn't take you to actually have someone that's official but if you if you muscle a little bit and if you, you like make people know that you know the outcomes we're really watching your outcomes um you know hopefully it will hold people accountable and i think the people of new york new yorkers are very savvy and they sharp and they're strong and, and i'm hoping they'll hold folks accountable and so i, I would be interested to see how the story develops more i want to i want them to identify the, the community colleges and what departments they're going through um because we've seen where people utilize funds like this as a slush for other departments that they're having the um deficits in and not using where it's supposed to be used um, how 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 far can five million actually go? And that's that among several. That's among several institutions, right? So there's yeah. city institutions, uh, community institutions. Yeah. So it's being really spread thin. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure they have a lot of because these guys get grants all the time. They have a lot of oversight responsibilities, reports back. I'm not concerned as, as much about that as I am about the content of what those community college classes uh, uh, contain, right? And I think that is definitely something that needs to be monitored and people need to audit those classes. People know what they're doing. We need to be teaching those classes. We need to be watching for the curriculum to be posted, um, which it will be. They're definitely going to be seeking students and they're going to be soliciting, you know, students to come explore those classes with us. And so I think that, you know, really there, there will be a lot of public activity that we can keep an eye on. And if they're not living up to the requirements of the grant, they're going to lose the money. It's really helpful more and more to have these um, these trade type opportunities with community colleges because the cost of going to university and the outcomes of going to a four year university and getting some of these degrees is a, is really questionable and then it saddles people with a huge amount of debt so young people more and more are wary of going through a four year process and investing their youth into something that doesn't end up really ever paying off so I love the idea of these trade schools opening and expanding in community colleges that give people an opportunity to be successful without a four-year degree but we've just got to make sure that what they're learning is actually going to end up in some sort of reimbursable job rather than just a, a certificate of some type that uh, that just ends up extracting money from them 
Final word, Jason Beck. I mean, I'm just wondering how long it's going to be until we see the story of how all these funds were just squandered aimlessly amongst different individuals and actually did zero value because it's only $5 million. It kind of sounds like um, everything that happened during the Trump uh, administration. But let's keep smoking the news. <laughs> <laughs> She's a patient in plant medicine advocate and founder of Purple Plant Magic on top of being Roz McCarthy's right-hand woman on the left coast for M4MM. She's got a gift for curating advocates, educating the masses, and inspiring beautiful shades of purple all around. Nicole Buffong, what you got for us today? Welcome back, by the way. Good morning. Thank you so much. It's great to be back, um, Sam. Uh, this morning, my story is coming from Caribbean.news, um, and it is on Believe Needs $5 million to stage referendum on decriminalization of marijuana. Um, Prime Minister John Brasino says an estimated $5 million, uh, $1 dollars equal to $0.49 cents of U.S. change, um, will be required to stage a national referendum on the legalization of marijuana later this year. While he described the funds needed as a pittance in comparison to the country's move to defend its territorial borders with Guatemala, Prime Minister told reporters, we are trying to hold down the cost. The cost of a referendum is not only what it will cost for the Elections and Boundaries Commission, what they will spend, but also there has to be an information campaign so that people could truly understand what is going to happen. What is the question? And inform people properly so that when they go to the polls, they can make a decision based on what they believe, how they should answer the question. Earlier this week, the Belize Coalition of Churches said it will soon be putting forward its campaign after meeting the threshold for triggering a referendum on the issue of cannabis legalization that could take place in September of this year. Chief Elections Officer Josephine Tamai said that the the threshold to trigger the referendum had been met. 10% 10% of registered voters has to sign the petition to trigger a referendum, according to Belize law. As a result, um, as a result, the, the I'm sorry, uh, uh, she has written to Governor General Fabrea, informing the head of state that the threshold has been met successfully. Pastor Lewis Wade, the church's spokesperson for its anti-marijuana effort, said, we will be putting our campaign forward as soon as the governor general makes the writ and releases it. And we are confident that Belizeans know the damage that marijuana has done in their community and in their households. The House of Representatives last Friday debated the introduction of a supplementary allocation to cover the cost of the upcoming cannabis referendum. Prime Minister says that his administration has to find the $5 million and that he's looking um, for it if it's not a part of his national budget. He said the government, particularly the Minister of New Growth Industries, Kareem Busa, did extensive consultations with the public on the cannabis issue. Um, we spoke about it even when it was being decriminalized. I said, why don't we proceed and go all the way? What have we done with decriminalizing? What have we done is we have empowered the criminals because the criminals or the gangs, they are the ones that control the marijuana and sell it to us, the Belizean people. By the way, the criminalization happened in 2017 in Belize. So now that he goes on to say, so now that you have it in your possession, once it's under 10 grams, it's legal. They can't do you anything. But where did you get it? 
we had to buy it from somebody. So we thought that if we can legalize it and regulate it, that we can then control and remove it from criminal elements. And secondly, that we can earn some much needed revenues for the government of Belize. Um, honestly, I was one of them that was saying, maybe we should have the referendum and get it over with earlier. But when they told me it was going to cost as much as $5 million, we said it's really too much. Um, this is very interesting. Uh, the prime minister said there is also concern with the banking industry regarding the cannabis issue. Adding, we did a print, we did a present a paper to the cabinet. We did present a paper to the cabinet to say that the banking is still a bit concerned and asking us not to proceed until those banking issues have been addressed. We've already agreed that this law will not be enacted until we have found a way of how we're going to address the corresponding banking concerns with the banks. So that we, so that was not going to go into place immediately. But what is ironic is that the opposition, when they decriminalized, what they also did was legalize the cultivation of hemp. And as you know, hemp is a controlled, still a controlled substance in the United States. So we already have a problem that if the growers of hemp would grow at such large scale, that now they would not be able to export it, or who would they be able to export it to? And I want to assure the Belizean people that even if we get the yes vote, we are not going to implement this legalization until we have managed to address a way where this industry will not affect the corresponding banking relationships that we have. Um, M4MM is launching a chapter in Belize this week to help create a campaign that will rival the opposition, the church's propaganda. Our campaign will help to educate the community on how cannabis is used as medicine based on scientific fact research the endocannabinoid system, and the societal facts like reduced crime rates and reduced use amongst youth. Eric Range, um, who was in here earlier, um, are, is our M4MF board chair. He is on the ground in Belize and will be supporting advocates with this campaign. Um, what you have to understand about what is happening in Belize is that this referendum was done by the churches. Um, who are the opposition in this case. But the reason that they wanted to put it in the hands of the people is because they feel like they have control over the people and, and the way that they will vote to not legalize cannabis. Um, so this is Nicole reporting for the State of Cannabis News Hour. I'd love to hear um, some opinions from my co fellow correspondents. Oh, Mr. Chairman is in the room. Um, hopefully he can get on to Wi-Fi and can join us to tell us kind of what is happening on the ground in Belize. Eric, you there? Yeah, let's see if we can get 30 seconds in here and then we got to move to the last story. Eric, you got us, brother? And if you can't get them, I will say this, is that if you want to see Belize as a country that could really, um, with all the tourists that go there, um, could be a great thriving uh, country for, um, you know, for the industry. So, um, but it's going to need some outside support. For, for those people that are currently making money and being able to put resources towards this, that $5 million goal. Um, he's not available. His, his Wi-Fi is weak um, in Belize there. He's uh, headed to Tubing with his family this morning. So, um, But yes, thank you, Roz. You're absolutely right. Um, the support is needed. And if you're interested in seeing legalization happen in Belize, then um, send your support. Jason, you want to introduce our final story of the day? Yes, she's a Florida-based entrepreneurial badass leading the charge for the ultimate cannabis lifestyle brand, Black Booty Cannabis. Also the founder and CEO of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. Coming next to the stage and taking us home is none other than Roz McCarthy. Oh, hey, Roz, man, can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Are you there? 
I am. Here? I am. I'm so sorry, guys. This is my first time using Twitter Spaces, so I, I've uh, oh. had to, you know, unlock some things in my phone. And I'm actually walking up to a Jaguar preserve right now, so hopefully the uh, signal will stay on for a while. But uh, I heard Nicole's reporting. She is spot on. Um, you know, one of the biggest challenges down here in Belize is the fact that most people, uh, this referendum is happening outside of the normal election cycle. So most people aren't aware that this is even going to take place. And so the government, in addition to actually paying for the election itself, is going to be, uh, you know, putting together an education campaign to make people aware of the actual uh, vote that is going to take place. Uh, the churches are well organized, they're well funded, and they're prepared already as soon as the uh, 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 government releases the writ for the um, referendum, they're prepared to begin their propaganda campaign. And so we're uh, here on the ground setting up a chapter of Minorities for Medical Marijuana uh, so that we could be a part of that discussion and educating the community about the benefits of legalization for their country. Uh, both from a, a medicinal standpoint, from an economic and business standpoint, and what it could really do for the country. Uh, so we are here on the ground. Uh, thank you guys for covering this story, man. Uh, there will be more to come from uh, MM about this, uh, and we, we love your support. So thank you guys, man. What's going on, Roz? Thanks, Nicole, for uh, inviting me on. Anybody else want to uh, comment on that one? We're going to have to move the other two stories to the top of the hour tomorrow. So let's uh, keep it moving on the, on Belize. Any other comments you want to you want to add there, Eric? No, just before Eric is there on the ground um, doing. Hold on one second. Yeah, I'm sorry. Just um, you know, being able to report like in real time, which is interesting. And we're going to see more countries like you know Barbados and you know in the Caribbean that are really looking at this as a viable industry. So kudos to Eric and the work he's doing, even while he's with his family. Um, and they're the nomad traveling gang. They're traveling all over the country and the world. Um, so and I'll come on tomorrow and I will make sure I highlight my story. And thanks, Rico and Jason. You guys are awesome. Oh, man. Thank you, Rise, representing Florida. So we are at the end of the show today. And that was a great one. <laughs> that was a great one. And if anybody missed it, you can catch us. <laughs> I was, um, um, you know, I, I got good genes. Levi's. If you miss any of it, you can catch us anywhere you catch your podcast. So please subscribe and leave us a review. Big thanks to all of the correspondents that come through all the uh, headlines each day and bring us just what you all need to know. A big thank you to my co-host Jason Beck, uh, to everybody behind the scenes keeping this party going. And um, you know what? Thank you all, cannabis community, all of our audience members for chipping in when we need you to and talking shit when we need you guys to as well because iron sharpens iron. It's time to go, y'all. Happy Tuesday morning. If this is now, and it doesn't. But um, say goodbye, Jason. Rico, say goodbye. Why don't you say goodbye first, man? Goodbye. (laughs) You've been tuned in to the State of Cannabis News Hour, where we collectively move policy forward in an inclusive and sustainable way. Start your morning on a high note and join us every weekday, 9 a.m. Pacific time for the State of Cannabis News Hour, your daily dose. Bye. <laughs> so that's one. Love y'all. Have a great day.